Today is Monday, January 15th, 2024. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. The Iowa caucuses are here. We'll have that top story and way more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. Email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Joining me bright and early on this Monday morning is Billy Hallowell. Billy, what's up? Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Another week is upon us. Yeah. And I mean, 2024, as I said, it's finally kicking off. We've been talking, it feels like we've been talking about it forever now. Everyone's just been waiting, but here we go. We'll see what happens in Iowa today as voting kicks off for this election. But we have a lot to get to, including Billy on the Focus story, this Finnish politician that we've been covering over, um, she posted Bible verses on homosexuality and found herself in court. This thing just won't go away. Yeah, it is a wild story. Every time this woman has a victory and you think her case is over, another twist in turn comes and there's another huge twist that we're going to get into today because she could be heading back to court. It's unbelievable. We'll, we'll look into that and I look forward to the details there. On the main thing, it's Religious Freedom Day tomorrow and the Religious Freedom Institute's holding an inaugural event called the State of Religious Freedom in America. Madison Seals is exploring that and also don't forget to sign up for our new podcast we have the newsmaker podcast that's full-length interviews each and every day don't forget to subscribe to that the links are in the description also dc debrief with john stolness from cbn he's going through the week in review in dc obviously going to be a lot going on in this coming episode on friday but there always is and you can check all of those out in the description to this podcast episode all right Housekeeping's out of the way, and now we're going to get to the news in 90 seconds. The Iowa caucuses are here, and former President Trump still has a sizable lead over Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Trump spoke to reporters over the weekend. He said Nikki Haley did a good job as ambassador after he appointed her, but added that he thinks she is, quote, not tough enough for the job of president of the United States. Haley had said, it's me and you now, after the latest polls showed Haley now surging into second place ahead of Ron DeSantis. It's going to be really cold, icy cold in Iowa today as voters go out to vote. It's going to be very interesting to see if that has an effect. I know Iowans are used to cold, but it is sub-zero temperatures we're talking about here with wind chills well, well into the negatives. We're talking negative 20, negative 30 in some areas. Meanwhile, Trump and his campaign, they're kind of taking a look at these high expectations because he has such a big lead. And they said no one's ever won the Iowa caucus by more than 12 percent. It's according to one of his senior advisors. And he said, I think the public polls are a little rich. So they're trying to dampen expectations there a little bit. Yemen's Houthi rebels fired an anti-ship cruise missile toward an American destroyer in the Red Sea yesterday, but a U.S. fighter jet shot it down. And also one church family has made it their mission to plant a thousand churches in our generation to offset the alarming rate of church closures. You can read more about that over at CBNnews.com. CBN News caught up with Pastor J.D. Greer, and there was a stat here, Billy, and this kind of made my eyes 
pop out of their sockets a little bit here. It said about 4,500 Protestant churches closed their doors in 2019. That's the most recent year we have data for that on record, apparently, according to LifeWay Research. 4,500 closed. Now, 3,000 churches did open that year. I'm not sure exactly. Like, I'm very interesting to look at the dynamics of that. That is, that's crazy that there's that many churches that open and close. I didn't realize the number was so high. Yeah, I mean, you think about okay, we've got 50 states, right? You know, so you start to break it down. And right. You're like, how many churches in each state are opening and closing? And I'm sure, obviously, many of these churches are small storefront yes. churches, um, but still. That it's kind of wild, obviously disconcerting when the number of closures is higher than the number of openings. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think we have to also realize how powerful are these churches? How impactful are they? Right. And and that's hard to answer without deeply studying it. But just because a church is opening or closing doesn't actually mean anything if the theology is off. Right. Right. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of other factors there. I'd rather have fewer solid churches than a million churches that don't have good theology. So, but, but yeah, it's a lot, it's a huge number. Uh, we're always looking at that. What's the give and take, right? Like there's, we see nuns on the rise, but then we see massive revival events like we're seeing at Asbury and at passion. And so the main thing, though, is just not have despair when you when you were looking at all these numbers and panic as the initial reactions to kind of go, oh, no, what what is happening here? But obviously, God is sovereign. God is going to accomplish his will. We shouldn't necessarily panic when we're looking at these numbers. Yeah. And I think that is the that's the key not to panic and to keep praying for the church, praying for our pastors and our churches. Right. Because. Yeah. You know, it's easy to get swept up into that too. You know, there's no telling. You know, our own churches could get become the the ones that are closing. So we want to make yeah. sure we're you know praying praying for the church body, which is something that I don't always remember to do, and yeah. it, it's something we should be doing in this yeah. country. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna move on over now to the focus story, and as I mentioned at the top, a Finnish politician who was prosecuted for tweeting Bible verses is potentially heading back to court now. So what is the story now with her? Yeah, this this story is absolutely wild. We have been covering this for years now. Dr. Paivi Razanin, Finnish politician, um, she has repeatedly been in court um, and has repeatedly won in court, which, which is kind of wild, over in Finland. And some people might be saying, why are we talking about a Finnish politician here in America? <laughs> yeah. uh, but her case has actually made headlines around the world. Her attorneys with ADF International announced on Friday that the Finnish state prosecutor is appealing her case to Finland's Supreme Court. This means that Razanen could actually end up back in court again if the Supreme Court takes up the case. Now, apparently... The Supreme Court, you know, doesn't always take up cases, obviously, just like our Supreme Court. Um, and we could talk about that more um, in, a, in a moment. But, but here's what she had to say. She said, after my full exoneration in two courts, I'm not afraid of, hearing before, of a hearing before the Supreme Court. Even though I am fully aware that every trial carries risks, an acquittal from the Supreme Court would set an even stronger positive precedent for everyone's right to free speech and religion. And so, again, she's won twice. And the last win she had in November was a unanimous courtroom win saying that she hadn't done anything wrong. There was no reason to be putting her up on trial. And, and that's why she was acquitted in the first place. And I would mention for sharing her faith publicly, this also carried with it a risk of jail time. You know, worst mm. case scenario was that she could have gone to jail for this. So this was not just some minor 
infraction. This was a criminal case over sharing her faith. And they're apparently still seeking tens of thousands of dollars in euros in fines. And the big thing in this case is that there's a pamphlet she wrote um, years ago that they're trying to censor as well. So the government's actually trying to censor something that she uh, actually wrote on biblical marriage. So it's, it's a pretty wild case. And when you consider the context here of what she actually did, it makes the story even more infuriating, especially from a Christian perspective. What, what, so why don't you say and go through exactly what she was initially accused of? Sure. Yeah. And I think this is really important because we're saying she shared her faith. But what does that mean? She actually, this all started June 17th, 2019. She tweeted the text of Romans 1, 24 to 27, which uh, condemns homosexuality as sinful. She actually tweeted Bible verses. Um, she was alarmed at the time over a decision by the Evangelical Lutheran Church, that's her denomination, to support an LGBTQ pride event. So the church, the denomination was supporting a pride event, and she responded by sharing scripture on her ex account, formerly Twitter, um, and yeah, you know, like like we do in America all the time. She didn't say anything horrific or really mean. Even if she had, she would have the free speech to do that, you would assume. Yeah. Uh, but she shared Bible verses pushing back and questioning why the denomination was was supporting a gay pride event. She also that so that's one thing. That's the first thing that got her in trouble. And that started a criminal complaint, believe it or not. Then there was this pamphlet that I mentioned. She wrote it in twenty years ago. I think it was two thousand and four, and it was a pamphlet about biblical sexuality. Um, I have not read this pamphlet, pamphlet, but from what I understand, again, normal Christian ideals espoused in this pamphlet. And that became another thing. And then she was also, there were other charges brought uh, because she was appearing in media to talk about um, her views on sexuality. Keep in mind that Pavi Razanin was not just, she's not just a member of parliament currently in Finland. So this is a current picture a sitting member of Congress being brought up on charges for sharing Bible verses. She was also the Crazy. minister of the interior. She was the minister of the interior who ran the police department in the entire country of Finland. Um, so anyway, th there's a lot there, but really she didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, it's, it's really wild. It really is. And obviously we need to be praying for her and all Christians, because it's happening in America too. We're starting to see that here, you know, as you mentioned that like, you know, why do we look at this? Because well, a couple reasons. One, we want to pray for Christians who are being persecuted around the around the globe. <clears throat> we need to also be concerned about how this is like a blueprint for people to look at. Oh, what, what do we need to do to silence Christianity? And we know that there are forces out there that want to do that. And so those are just a couple of the reasons why we need to be looking at this and praying for her. But realistically, what are the chances? You mentioned the Supreme Court. They're not going to necessarily take up all the cases. What are the chances the court takes up her case this time? Yeah, so I think because now we don't know definitively, but because of how prominent this case is, the entire world is talking about it. And because it's an issue that is actually very pertinent, there's a very solid chance, um, apparently, attorneys believe that her case will get picked up. And so that means there's a very solid chance she's heading back to court. And she has said if she loses it, like, let's say she goes to the Supreme Court and somehow loses this, she will go to the European court. And she will continue to fight this. So she's not willing um, to stop fighting because she said, and, th and this is the last, we talked to her in November about this. And by the way, we're going to be having her on Tuesday morning. She'll be on the show here. So you get to hear from her directly. Um, but 
she has said that, you know, if, if this is, if she's guilty, it will start a time of persecution in Finland and it will affect all of Europe. And she's well aware of that. So she's not going to back down from this. Wow. Yeah. Well, amen. And for her uh, steadfastness and willingness to fight, I'm sure it would be very tempting and easy to just want to take whatever she could do to, to get this to just go away. So, so God bless her on that front. Definitely look forward to hearing her thoughts and what she's, you know, more details on what she's thinking here. She's going through this uh, on the podcast uh, this week. So appreciate you bringing uh, that one to our attention here today, Billy. And we are going to head on over now to the main thing and the Religious Freedom Institute's holding that inaugural event I mentioned earlier in the podcast called the State of Religious Freedom in America. And the Institute's president, Eric Patterson, joins Madison Seals to discuss why now is an important time to take account of where we are as a country and where to go from here. That's today's main thing. Well, I want to start with discussing where our religious freedom comes from, because I think for many of us in America, religious freedom is something that we take for granted because we're born with it. But it's becoming harder to ignore the increasing battle to protect this freedom. So, Eric, can you start by talking about where our religious freedom comes from in the first place? Madison, thanks for having me today. And you're exactly right. It's wrong to think that a fundamental freedom like religious freedom comes from the government. Government should protect what is an inalienable right. In other words, because we're creatures created in God's image, male and female, God has put into us the the desire to seek him, the desire to seek the answers to the meanings of life. That's at the root of what religious liberty is. We are religious people by our very nature, and that's where it comes from. It's rooted in the way that God made us. Tomorrow's Religious Freedom Day, which marks the 237th anniversary of the Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom, which was authored by Thomas Jefferson, and that protects freedom of conscience and the protection of the church from the rule of the state. And I want to get into that side of it now because we are seeing a movement in America that is attempting to strip Americans of their religious freedom, whether it's about baking a cake to celebrate a same-sex wedding or being pro-life or even most recently being an outspoken Jew. It's becoming increasingly common to be told that we must suppress or violate our consciences and our religious convictions or else face legal battles, violence, or even death threats. And this isn't just an attack on Christianity, as I mentioned. It's also an attack on Jews, Muslims, all religions. So what is behind this push to silence religious freedom and expression? Just like you mentioned, so many of the cases that we look at are individuals who are bullied, coerced, pressured, attacked for their faith-informed convictions about how they're going to operate their business. What's particularly insidious is the marriage of a progressive or woke or neo-Marxist set of ideologies, whether it's critical race theory or on sexual orientation and gender identity, taking those often anti-Christian, anti-faith ideologies and then marrying them to the power of government. In other words, the state being used to bring the hammer down to coerce people. And it's not just individuals. Those attacks are increasingly on faith-based organizations and institutions as well say, a Catholic hospital, a Jewish clinic, a evangelical college or university, all of them are facing that state coercion as well. Yeah. And can you talk about some of the specific examples that we've seen? Um, as you mentioned, these attacks on universities and on clinics, 
and also this rise in anti-Semitism that we've seen since back in October. Well, when it comes to the anti-Semitism, what's been so sad is, is that this has been latent in Western cultures, although far less in the United States over the years. But particularly after October 7th, and my organization, the Religious Freedom Institute, has just released two fact sheets on this. There's been a dramatic rise in anti-Semitic attacks in the United States, in the United Kingdom, and in France, the places with the largest populations of Jews outside of Israel. And this is everything from bullying and harassment of Jewish children on their way to school, death and bomb threats to synagogues or of, of local Jewish families. It has been... Uh, cancel types of things happening online, cyber attacks, uh, attacks on the financial viability, for instance, of kids, uh, uh, families trying to pay their tuition to a synagogue school. And then just this outright genocidal language of gas the Jews, et cetera, that we've seen among woke young people starting as early as October 8th. So remember, just within less than 24 hours of these attacks happening, there were already people getting on the bandwagon before Israel had even really responded, saying, gas the Jews in Times Square or U.S. university campuses. Gosh, that's unbelievable. And I saw a stat out there that just goes to show how shocking this rise in anti-Semitism is. And a lot of it has to do with education around the Holocaust. I think it was a number like 20% of young people here in the United States didn't know about the Holocaust or thought it was a myth. They just hadn't learned the history about it. And that's part of what's so shocking is just the indoctrination that we're seeing in universities either failing to teach history or to teach it incorrectly. Where, where this is intersects with other forms of religious freedom is, is that what's happened, whether it comes to teaching about what's going on in the Middle East or other things, is really what is at its heart a neo-Marxist lens that says one side are oppressors and the other side are oppressed. And that lens, whether in critical race theory or when it comes to sexual orientation and gender ideology, or it happens with anti-Semitism or anti-whomever, what we keep saying is this lens used that there's an oppressor and oppressed. The oppressor is almost always labeled as white, male, Christian, traditional, et cetera, pro-family or whatever. And we see that in particular in most of the religious freedom challenges that we face in America today at the beginning of 2024. I'll give you one quick example that's made the headlines. It's a physician assistant from Michigan, Michigan named Valerie Klusterman. She served with high rankings, high marks for 17 years as the physician's assistant. But when her local hospital was taken over by University of Michigan Health West, they imposed uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion training that that forced the people participating to say things, uh, to get the answers right, to say gender is fluid, et cetera. But when she graciously would not do that, when in other words, when she would not lie about what it means to be male or female because of her religious convictions, she was pulled into DEI counseling. She was called evil. She was called a liar. Um, she was pressured to give up her stands on these types of things. And within three weeks, she was fired. And so this is the type of bullying that we see. Now, thankfully, um, she's made it through the first round of the courts um, with excellent representation from First Liberty Institute. And we believe that her that she'll be exonerated and fully vindicated down the road. But it's that type of attack that is the type of attack that we're seeing more and more and more. 
Right. Yeah. And it's important to talk about it and fight back against that. And one of the discussions at your event will highlight tomorrow is about recovering America's first freedom. So can you just give a brief encouragement or a charge to those listening? Where do we go from here? How do we protect our religious freedom in America? Well, the first thing to do is to vibrantly live our faith as loving Christians and loving people of faith in all parts of our life, to be ready to give an answer for what we believe. And that means reminding our children and our communities and our congregations of the true story of religious freedom and its benefits in American life and history from the Mayflower Compact in 1620 through the abolition movement, the suffrage movement, the civil rights movement, all led by Christians and people of faith. I think that the second thing is to not hide our light under a bushel. And no one's saying hit people over the head of the Bible. It's just being authentic about your faith and not being scared to talk about how you spent your weekend, inviting people to church, uh, praying in public if asked, and being a part of the social fabric of this country and not hiding our lights under a bushel. And I truly believe that as Christians do this, that we can recover a vibrant religiosity and a vibrant religious freedom in our country. Yeah, absolutely. And Eric, for those who want to learn more about the state of religious freedom in America, this event or just the topic in general, where can they go? Yeah, there's bios of the speakers such as Os Guinness and Andrea at Picote Bear on our website at religiousfreedominstitute.org. And people are welcome to join us on the live stream. There's a link there on the events page or to come in person, weather permitting. We're looking at a big winter storm, but weather permitting uh, at the Heritage Foundation tomorrow. Wonderful. Well, we'll pray against that winter storm. And Eric, thank you so much for your time and for your work as well. Thank you very much. God bless you. All right, Madison, thanks so much for that conversation there. I think it's something, you know, as we mentioned earlier, talking about this Finnish politician, Billy, we don't often think about persecution in America. Yes, it has different form than what we see in some more extreme areas around the globe where there's genocide taking place in some instances. But it's a different form here, but it's definitely real. Yeah, well, and, you know, one thing, and we've talked a lot with, with many different people about this, Johnny Moore and others, they will tell you that what we are seeing happen in the West right now, that's how a lot of the deeper, more disturbing persecution we see around the world began. Yeah. And I'm not saying that those things are going to happen here, but what I am saying is that these are the glimmers of how bigger things happen later on, and that's an important piece of the puzzle to keep in mind. Yeah, the conditions are there for it to happen. And that's that's certainly concerning. So appreciate Madison bringing that to our attention today. That's going to leave us with time for one last thing on the podcast today. Second Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Mm. And I think it's just the reality of when you're living as a Christian authentically, you're not promised things are going to be easy. You're actually, you can expect that these sorts of acts of persecution are going to follow you. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, and look, the gospel's offensive. And the reason it is, is because we're confronted with our own sin. And so before people have to come to accept that and accept their need for a savior, they, they have to be confronted with their own sin. And a lot of times people don't react in the most pleasant way uh, imaginable. So uh, appropriate verse for today. Good spot to leave it as always. Get yourself on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective, Lord willing. And that creek don't rise on us. We shall return tomorrow with more. God bless. See you then.